Get ready to enjoy an earful of auditory indulgence as you explore Tom Moon's book, 1,000 Recordings to Hear Before You Die, presented in cooperation with Workman Publishing. What's up? Welcome to 1,000 Recordings podcast episode number 49. I'm your host, Anthony Joseph Landman, and with me, as always every week, is proud member of Gryffindor, Mitchell Davis. Yeah, whatever that is. <laughs> I think I know what that is, but you know, anyway. <laughs> What's up? Not much. Just uh, glad to glad to talk to you again. Glad to do this again. It's it's been a while. Yep. Um, yep. Um, like a month or so, something like that. Yep. Probably like a month. Yeah. Yeah. What you been up to? Uh, just uh, working and and doing music stuff and uh graduating kids and yeah i can relate (laughs) (laughs) stuff like that yeah yep congratulations on your on your kickstarter thank you success that was that was really cool yeah that, that that's been great so yeah yeah i got the kickstarter got the cds done and and mostly mailed out um and i'm making lps records and those are going to take those are going to take a little while longer, but um, yeah, it'll be worth it though. Yeah, I think so. So I'm I'm very excited about that. Um, I found out an important thing about records when I was doing this. Uh-huh. I found out that they only hold 22 minutes per side. Yeah, yeah, it's something like that. It's, <laughs> it's not a lot unless you. Apparently, there's like a, the, depending on the thickness of the record. I mean, you can extend that a little bit, but not much. Yeah, takes. yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so my album was too long Wow! <laughs> for a record. So I had to, like, there was the, there were some, uh, solo piano pieces on there, like, like short little pieces. So I had to take those off, um, oh. for it to fit on the record. So, so you couldn't, I guess a double, a double record would have been a double record would have been, um, financially not feasible. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's, that's yeah. kind of what I was, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. 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 Um, but you know, it's something that, uh, I guess, you know, you learn these things as you go and I guess I'll know that next time, but yeah. 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 Oh, well. uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I still, um, be really cool. But yeah, let's, uh, Let's get on to the show here. And we have three new albums from Tom Moon's book, 1,000 Recordings to Hear Before You Die. Uh, we're going to start off with Regine Crespin, uh, opera singer. Uh, Crespin sings Berlioz and Ravel. Then we're going to move on to Bing Crosby and like a centennial recording, an anthology of his early recordings. And then we're going to end with Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, their album Deja Vu. So, uh, a lot of great singing on today's show. Yeah. 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 A lot of great singers. Very, very different styles, though, obviously. Oh, yeah. Different eras, even. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah very different. All very different. Um, so, we're going to start with uh, French opera singer, French uh, soprano, Regine Crespin. Her album, Crespin Sings Berlioz and Ravel, released in 1963. And uh, these are songs by composer Hector Berlioz. Uh, for, these are all French composers. So Hector Berlioz, uh, 
working in the early 19th century. Maurice Ravel working in the early 20th century. And then there's are, there are also some pieces uh, by Francis Poulenc who worked in the mid 20th century. Uh, but we're not going to hear any of those. Uh, she is accompanied here by the, uh, let me see if I can get this right. <laughs> I always suck at pronouncing French. Um, the L'Orchestra de la Suisse Romande. Yeah, that's good. That Con- looks good. <laughs> conducted by Ernest Ansermay, I guess. So, um, yeah, Regine Crespin. I was going to kind of focus on her because I've already talked about Berlioz in an earlier episode, and I'm going to talk about Ravel in a future episode. Um, so, you know, really this this album is her, is, you know, is focusing on the singer Regine Crespin. And um, she was born in 1927, died in 2007. Uh, you know, Tom Moon uses words in his description like like seamless and liquidity you know to describe her voice yeah and i would totally agree with that um she just has an amazing range um as as tom points out uh you know a lot of singers have weird breaks in their voice and sometimes they have to kind of strain to go high or low and some you know yeah. Um she doesn't at all, man. It's like her voice is totally seamless. There doesn't seem to be a break anywhere in her range. Um she can sing with total ease. Doesn't matter what range, even if she's really high or really low. Mm-hmm. Um she has a a really great power behind her voice, but she can also dial it down and yeah. just be super intimate. Um yeah. and and delicate, you know. Um, yeah. What did you think of her? I, I, I totally agree with you on all that. I mean, so many singers, they, they either seem to have either power or control when it comes to singing. And she has both, which is a rare quality to be strong on both of those. And, um, you know, I, I've never really listened to her music before we, we got into, you know, doing this podcast. But the two pieces that you put together, together and, and that we're going to talk about i mean her range is obviously you know pretty incredible but just the the like you said the control she has whether it's it's something that's really strong or something that's really subtle i mean she's she's totally in the moment of what she's doing and totally you know able to to do it where it's almost like a walk in the park it seems like oh yeah you know yeah. It's, it's not a strain for her to, to be really strong or to be really subtle. Like like the first piece I think we're gonna listen to, at the very end of that, I mean Oh it's, that it's, dude, yeah, I'm yeah. glad you caught that's that's the part I'm gonna play too. Yeah. Because I, I was trying to listen to it on, on my iPhone at first and, and I was kind of hearing it and I was like whatever. And then I, I put it on some bigger speakers in my house and as I listened to it, I was like, man, this lady is bad. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean she she has a a very what you know something that made me think about the the whole power of control um you know the late luther vandross had a song called a house is not a home where at the end of this song he he gets so very quiet and very subtle in his singing and it reminds me of that i mean you know they're not really the same type of singer but he luther had that too where he had so much power in his voice but so much control where you know, it was, it just seemed effortless for him to sing. And yeah. she has that same 
gift where, like you said, so many other singers have to have sort of like a hitch to, that they, they, you know, can't do this or that or the other. Right. And it right. seems like there's not much she can't do, you know? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, you know, she came to fame, I guess, um, singing Wagner and Strauss operas. And, you know, you have to be a super special singer to sing Wagner and Strauss because they use these gigantic orchestras with really heavy orchestration. And you have to be an absolute powerhouse of a singer to be able to project over these orchestras mm-hmm. in, in Wagner and Strauss. And um, so you're right. Yes, yeah, she can be super powerful and then also super intimate and quiet and and beautiful and um, yeah yeah, yeah um, so, sometimes the, the the really quiet moments those are more impressive because to to be able to tiptoe around an arrangement and and hit notes in in a very strong fashion it, it can be even more impressive yeah you know i agree so. dude totally um yeah the first one we're going to listen to is by hector berlioz uh, it's called Les Nuits d'été. <laughs> um, Opus 7, the second song, La Spectre de la Rosa. Um, La, la Nuit d'été means summer nights. So that's like okay. that. That's like uh, um, you can think of it as kind of like the album title. Mm. And then La Spectre de la Rosa is like the song title, right? That's called um, a loose translation of that that I got is Spectrum of Pink. So maybe there's like a sunset, you know, in the summer that he's trying yeah. to to do. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. I just one thing I loved about this song, aside from Crespin's voice, is uh, I love how Berlioz pairs down the orchestration as the yeah. song goes. So it starts really heavy, you know, with a lot of instruments in the orchestra, very thick textures and stuff. And just like you said, by the end of it. You know, the voice pairs down and she's just right down in her low register, very intimate. And all we're left with at the end is her voice and just one single clarinet accompanying <laughs> her voice. And, and it's you're right. It's very powerful. Yeah. It, and yeah. it's clear that she's the focus. Yeah. And the, and the orchestra is it's never it, it never is, is so overpowering that that you lose focus on her. You know, and I, I noticed that, too. Yeah. And I mean. Like you said, towards the end, the very end of this song, it, I mean, it just, it was very impressive. I was like, wow, dude, she, she is like on it. I mean, to the point of where, you know, you know, it's, it's, it's perfect. You know? Yeah. yeah. I, I love, I love singers like that, that have the pitch and can, and can harmonize, you know, Ella Fitzgerald is another person who she just had that pitch to where, you know, her, her voice could could make you you know it, it just sucks you in you know where where whether it was like you know really really over the top or really really subtle you know yeah and I, I just you know I have a, a new respect for for her you know not even knowing her really that much but now I now I do <laughs> yeah 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 man let's listen to this from uh, Berlioz Summer Nights this is La Spectre de la Rosa
And we just heard La Spectre de la Rosa, and we're going to move on to the second track uh, by French composer Maurice Ravel from Scheherazade. Um, oh god sur de verse de tristan klingsor this means like on a verse of tristan klingsor who's the poet i guess this is the third song from that that cycle called uh l'indifferent means the indifferent i guess Mm -hmm. yeah um for me it's equally cool um the style is totally different than the Berlioz. I mean, Ravel's style is about a hundred years removed, you know, a hundred years later. Um, a lot more harmonically static than the Berlioz. You know, it just the music and especially Crespin's voice just seems to float in this one. Yeah. You know, um, Ravel's music was called impressionistic. You know, it was sort of part of that same movement as uh, the, you know, impressionist painters. And really, you can kind of, that's kind of what the music sounds like. You know, this sort of impressionistic sort of landscape that, that kind of floats and has these sort of pastel colors. And um, in this one, you know, in the Berlioz, we got to hear Crespin in her sort of dark lower range. In this one, we really get to hear her in her upper range. Yeah. Her, it's, it's her much, real soprano range. Yeah. Yeah. A lot shorter and a lot lighter of a piece. Yeah. yeah. I, you yeah. know, that's what I noticed from the from the the previous one. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, it's still you know she's still in her upper register. It's more powerful, but it's still very elegant. You know, unforced, effortless. You know. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. The, again, the, the the whole walk in the park. You know, analogy. She she seems like uh, she was just born to do this, and and just a, a voice that, like you said, it. There's no struggle. At all, I mean, she just sounds like, uh, you know, someone who who's you know, amazingly enough, you know, can could sing, you know, this type of music or maybe any type of music, you know, without, you know, seeming like it's hard at all, you know, which, you know, that that's an amazing gift to have, you know, to yeah. where, you know, you can just you can just roll with it. It's like, okay, what's yeah. what's next, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah, man. Let's check this track out uh, from Maurice Ravel and Regine Crespin. This is L'Indifferent.
And we just heard L'Indifferent, and we're going to move on to our second album by Bing Crosby. Uh, it's called A Centennial Anthology of Decca Recordings. It's released in 2003, but uh, these are recordings from, I think, mainly from the 30s and 40s. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a lot to talk about with Bing Crosby. Uh-huh. It, you know, <laughs> a, you, musically and apart, I think especially apart from the music. You know, um, and I was debating about, you know, should we even talk about the personal stuff that came out recently? Because there's a book that came out written by one of his sons that sort of paints him as this freaking monster. Yeah. <laughs> but then, you know, one of his other sons came out after it was released saying, no, this is these are all complete lies. My father was great, blah, blah, blah. So, I, you know, what's the truth? I don't know. You know. The the thing that I, I try to think to or, or consider when, whenever we look at somebody like him is that he came up in a whole different era from where we are now. Not to excuse, you know, you know, anything good or bad or whatever that he did, but just think it was it was the 1930s and 40s, you know, where just things were. Let's just say different. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that's true for sure. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I try not to, you know, because I mean, you know, some some stuff, you know, is just, I mean, like you said, I, I don't, I don't really know, you know, how far we should look at at the exactly. The, well, let's the, just, all that other stuff. Like, we could just focus on the music, really. Yeah, let's just know? leave it at that. You know, you can uh, uh, go do your own research and make your own conclusions. I guess out you listeners out there. But, um, you know, he left a huge legacy. I mean, a musical legacy and also a huge legacy uh, in the music business, let's say in the music recording industry um, that I was totally not aware of before I did, you know, research on him. Yeah. Uh, I was totally not aware of the legacy he left on the recording industry. It's It's fascinating, really. Um, but first to his voice, you know, I thought it was interesting being, you know, Bing Crosby following our discussion of Regine Cressman because Bing Crosby represents a giant shift in singing due to technology. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, previously, you know, with a voice like Regine Cressman and stuff, uh, before amplification, you know, a voice had to be trained in a certain way to project, you know, completely unamplified over an orchestra in a giant concert hall and all this stuff. If Bing Crosby would have gone in front of a giant orchestra in those days without a microphone and all that stuff, all you would see was yeah. Bing Crosby's mouth moving on stage. You would yeah, not no, hear his voice at yeah. all. So, uh, with the development of microphones and recording technology and all that stuff, he was able to all of a sudden sing in this style that's famous, you know, this crooner style, this very quiet baritone style that never would have been possible before. And uh, this, of course, just opened the floodgates to, you know, a whole new type of singing and yeah. 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 That, that's that when you when you said the actual date of these recordings, that's kind of what kind of took me aback because I was thinking to myself, you know, there was so much that 
hadn't been developed, you know, in that period. And it's it's hard to really imagine, you know, a lot of things that we have now, like simple stuff that was just coming to be <laughs> back then. You know, I mean, and, and and like you said, the the issue of the style of singing and and the issue also too of what people would listen to when they were listening to him. You know, I mean, they didn't really have a lot of the modern technologies and, and the way audio files are now and you know these these crazy speakers and, and amplification and there was a lot of that that was not even thought of. So right. you know to to hear him sing you know and to appreciate it you know they had to consider that in the recording and to make things kind of stand out whereas you know you could hear it on a, a smaller system or you know, I guess what you would consider inferior speakers, and and if you would you would love it, you would you would you would have an appreciation for it. There's so much, like you said, in the mix, not just with him, but in the music itself and in the making of it. That that, like you said, when you really start to look at it, it's kind of cool to see it in the first developmental stages, I guess, if you will. Um, yeah. And, well, yeah, I mean, you know, it's fascinating to read, you know, how he developed tape recording technology. Um, I think pretty much because he was tired of doing the live shows and he uh, wanted to be able to, to pre-record the shows so he could go play golf. I think that was like the main, <laughs> I really, I think that was like the main reason behind it. And uh, it's really interesting because they got this original tape recorder that was made in Germany in 1935 and they developed uh, their own tape recorder based on this design. And then in the forties, they started to pre-record shows on 50 uh, reels of tape of 50 original reels of tape that were developed in Germany that were seized during world war two. So they got this technology from Germany in world war two. They seized these tapes and then they used these actual tapes that they took from Germany to pre-record all these original shows. Wow. And uh, uh, he invested in Ampex, a bunch of money, and, and you know, developed the first improved tape recorder um, mm-hmm. and then the improved uh, magnetic tape and, and developed, <clears throat> basically developed all the standards for pre-recording shows that are still used today. Yeah, that's uh, that's crazy. That's crazy to think that that's that that's where that started. It was with was with, with him. Yeah, you know? yeah. He developed the laugh track. Wow, I didn't <laughs> I didn't know that either. Yes, wow. he invented the laugh track. <laughs> so I, I guess um, it's just like you know what you know whether whether or not you know you think this is good. This is good, you know, because you, you, we've got our canned laughter here. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Uh, exactly. That's how. That's why they used it. You know, for bits that didn't do as well with the studio audience, they would just edit in the laugh track where they were going crazy. Yeah. And uh, you know, it, it. The story goes on and on. You know, it, it's very, very interesting. The the impact that he made on the industry is 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 really enormous. You know, yeah. um, just just just, and also the thought of him being one of those stars that you know, not only was, was a, you know, a singer, but it was an age where if you sang and people liked you, they made 
movies with you in them, even if you couldn't act all that well. That's right. And and he was one of those one of the first like that where when once movies came to be, you know, he was a he, he just sang everything, you know, in, in in the movies he was in. Yeah. And um, you know, just I'm sure he's a, another part of his his deal. I mean, like I said, we don't really want to go as much into his personal life, but I mean, ladies love Bing Crosby. I mean, if you I mean if you see those old, you know, Mary Melody type Looney Tunes cartoons where they sort of characterize him, they they show like all these women, you know, so called women like falling over, you know, and swooning. <laughs> yeah, you know, and he just had that. And it's funny to think that's. You know that was part of his appeal too where you know it was he was just so cool you know and and just had this charisma about him you know with that pipe and that and that look in his eye and and you know he didn't have to even sing any words it was just kind of like boom, 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 you know and then <laughs> it was just like you know it was just like it's being crosby you know the dude's a, really he's a legend in a lot of ways and, and again like you said just so much more that's tied to him as, as we kind of, you know, look at his legacy. It's, it's amazing, you know, Oh yeah. to, to look at the full body of, of him. If yeah. You would. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, definitely. Um, another fact that I read was, uh, he's the third most popular actor in history having sold wow. over a billion movie tickets. Yeah. See, that's what I'm talking about. I mean, just, and that's ridiculous. He was he was one of the first real American icons, and and you know with that comes a you know you know a heavy load, if you would. But I mean, still, you know, he just there's there's, there's a lot to him. I mean, we we really could spend the whole show, you know, yes, absolutely picking through you know all of the different things that went on in his life, and you know, we yeah. wouldn't have enough time. Yeah, yeah we're not. <laughs> Um, yeah, let's move on to the first track we're going to listen to, Stardust, uh, by Hoagie Carmichael. And um, in Hoagie's words, this is a love song about a love song. Hmm. <laughs> and uh, I thought it was kind of interesting that he got the inspiration for this song when he was um, on the campus of his alma mater, Indiana University, which that's my alma mater. So yeah. that was good. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, this song, Stardust, you know, it's one of those early um, American songs that has sort of been adopted into the, you know, what's called the quote-unquote American songbook. You know, this is definitely one of those pieces that has been recorded and recorded and recorded and recorded Yeah, by yeah. so many different people. Major um, standard. Ma- yeah, yeah, major, major standard. Um, and... Uh, I don't know. What do you think of Stardust? Um, just really pretty. The the arrangement of, of the the orchestra or the, the band, if you would. I mean, because because Bing Crosby, I mean, he's he's obviously there. I mean, in, in that voice and that and that crooning style. But but one thing that that sticks out to me is the mu the actual music that's being played along with him is beautiful. I mean, yeah, you know, a really cool arrangement. And like I said, you know an attention to the detail in the music to where, like I said, so much of the, the so-called audio file style technology that's not here now, you know, you could, you could appreciate this on any kind of system, you know, on any kind of speaker, I mean, small or big. And that, 
that's what I love about the way the music sounds. I mean, that that comes through no matter what, it seems to me. I mean, it, it, it's just one of those things, I think, because there was so much radio and, and not I don't even think TV was a thing, you know, because um, no. er, everybody listened to the radio. So the radio yeah. had to be it, it had to give you a picture, almost had to paint you a picture through sound. And I think that's something, you know, that's missing today in a lot of music is that, you know, it, it doesn't help paint a picture. You know, yeah. It, you, yeah. you hear the music, but there's really no imagination. And I mean, that's not all music now. I mean, there's certainly there's a lot of really good music. But I think in I guess what you would call, you know, top 40 style music, there's there's really almost no imagination. I mean, there's right, very right, little, right. you know, but there's plenty here. I mean, when I listen to to all the, the instrumentation in this song, I mean, it, it just brings forth, you know, a visual in my head, you know, where I even if I hear in a distance, I mean, it's you know, there's there's so much color in in the sound in this music to me. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, I think you said it. Let's uh, check it out. This is Stardust from Bing Crosby. Sometimes I wonder why I spend the lonely night dreaming of a song the melody haunts my reverie and I am once again with you when our love was new and each kiss an inspiration Oh, but that was long ago Now my consolation Is in the stardust of a song Beside a garden wall When stars are bright You are in my arms The nightingale tells his fairy tale of paradise where roses grew though i dream in vain in my heart it will remain my stardust melody the memory of love's refrain and we just heard stardust and we're going to move on to blue skies composed by Irving Berlin in 1926, another American songbook standard, right? Blue Skies. Um, It uh, really came to public attention in uh, the movie The Jazz Singer, um, sung by Al Jolson, which was the first movie with sound, right? It was the Mm. first quote-unquote talkie, right? and he sang this song in that movie, The Jazz Singer, and became a huge hit for, for Crosby, you know, in the 40s. Um, interestingly enough, it also it later became a huge hit for Willie Nelson in the 70s. 
Yeah. So yeah. A lot, that's another another standard, really. Yeah, way, another standard you know. that's been recorded a billion times, right? Yeah. 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 Another and, and Irving Berlin, you know, just. I mean, it's it's June, but I mean, okay, look at okay, like White Christmas. That's like one of those songs that, you know. Bing Crosby made that song. I mean, you'd think it was his, you know, the way he sings yeah, it. Yeah. But but just the, the relationship between those two, I mean, you know, that I mean, at least as far as like the songs that he did, I mean, you know, just just it's ridiculous to look back at, at his legacy and and see like all that that he's done to sort of, you know, weave his life into the tapestry of this country, you know. I mean, it's just it's 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 crazy, you know, just to, to look at him. I mean, I, I can remember when he, I was very young, you know, when he passed away, I mean, how big a deal that was. Um, and, and just listening to this song, I mean, and looking back at, you know, the the popularity that he had, you know, in an age where music was, I guess, and, and in, in its inception, I mean, in this version, I mean, it was it was so fragile in a lot of ways, you know, that, it's 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 just cool just to look back yeah, at the history, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, this is one of the, you know, perennial versions of this song for sure, and uh, yeah, again, awesome arrangement, um, great voice. Let's just listen to it. Cool. This is uh, "Blue Skies" from Bing Crosby. Smiling at me Nothing but blue skies Do I see just heard blue skies from bing crosby and we're going to move on to our last artist crosby stills nash and young their album deja vu released in 1970 and uh this was an interesting group is an interesting group um i think they all came from other bands you know when they were forming this band and they they all wanted to retain 
their individualism, their individual identities, you know, to be free to sort of do other projects and stuff. So they just called themselves by their names. Um, but David Crosby was coming from the, the birds. Uh, Stephen Stills and Neil Young were coming from Buffalo Springfield. And uh, Nash was coming from uh, the Hollies. All right. Yeah. 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 And uh, all those bands, they had either been kicked out of those bands or those, or they'd been, you know, the bands had been dissolved. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so they all sort of started hanging out and, and formed this group. Um, Crosby still, well, Crosby stills and Nash were first, they released their first album in 1969. And then uh, they added Neil Young and released this album in 1970. Um so yeah what do you think of this group uh really cool you know even even in a sense where they you know neil young wasn't you know apart from for much of, of what they did but still this this particular record uh it, it it's kind of just you know descriptive of that era you know sort of like the you know hippie era if you would sort of kind of coming to a close you know, with, with an optimistic view, but you know, that, that's what I, I get from, from what they were doing. You know I mean? And you had, you know, so much going on in, in this country, the Vietnam war, especially that they, they sort of, you know, were, you know, taking a lot of energy from, from that and, and, you know, mixing all the different talents that they had as, as individuals, like you said, you know, where they, they were a band, but, but it's almost kind of like, a record of you know some of the songs at least where they they've taken some of the things that they've done you know as individuals and just kind of presented them on this record you know um one of the songs we're going to talk about in particular i guess uh, uh four and twenty you know for an example but uh but i mean great record i mean what, what i've listened to i mean i i like i like a lot you know yeah um, yeah 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 i like and, it uh, too um yeah yeah i mean uh you know they they've had their share of interpersonal relations problems <laughs> yeah over yeah. the years and you know they uh they'll go through a period where they're together then they're not together and they're doing their own thing then they'll come back together and then they'll do their own thing again so it's just kind of off again on again the thing that's really been going since the 70s to to the present you yeah. know it's an yeah. It's they they keep doing it and they keep reviving it, you know. And then they'll they'll go back and do their own thing and come back and so it's a pretty interesting project that that really has never stopped. Um, yeah, yeah, and it, and it seems like mainly you know Crosby, Stills, and Nash. You know, I mean Neil Young yes. sometimes, yes. but most of the time Neil Young is not really you know his right. most part. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. So this this first song that we're going to hear, um, four and twenty. It's pretty much Stephen Stills, right? Just yeah, just yeah. pretty much him, um, singing solo and playing his guitar, and and uh, dude, what a depressing song this is. <laughs> well, you know, in in some ways, yeah. But uh, when I first heard this song, I mean it it really blindsided me. I mean, because I I think the thing about it for me personally is that I could really relate. To what he was singing about I've I've, I've been there if, if if that makes sense I mean the go, okay, yeah, going back yeah. to the whole singer songwriter thing that you know we have a, some side of an issue with or whatever this is one of those 
instances where it really, really works for me. And I mean, in a, in a sense to where if you if you've ever been through anything in your life that's been really rough and in this case you know it's a, a relationship gone bad you know whether it be a, you know girlfriend or wife in an assist where it's you know you know Stephen Stills I guess you know you reflect on that and, and sometimes you you think to myself man I was in a really bad place that was a really rough place but you know, like I said, I, I could relate and I can relate, you know, seeing now that I've gone past that and sort of sort of smile, you know. So in a sense to where I was in a bad place and I'm not now, I I can appreciate this song a lot more, if that makes sense, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it does and, make uh, sense. And and when I first heard it, like I said, it it was like the guy was singing about me, you know. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's a and I mean the the way the way he puts it across too, it's it's real simple. It's not real complicated. The way he plays the guitar is just kind of like a sweet harmony to it, and it, it seems very in the moment to where he's he's trying to sort of find some peace that he does not have. That's another thing too, where if you don't have like a sense of peace in your life, no matter what it's about, whether it's a relationship or it's financial issues or health issues. The one thing you want to find is is that peace of mind. You lose your peace of mind, it can be, it can be, you know, like torment. And and I, I can sense that in this song that that he was going through some horrible torment. And then also too, ironically, you know, dealing with Father's Day is, is the subject of him singing about at the beginning of this song, you know, the reflection on his father and and, and looking at his life and how right you right. know his dad you know you know, had to work like the devil, you know, just to survive. And, and it's sort of like, you know, his, him coming present and, and dealing with those same issues and, and not wanting to, and, you know, I've, I've yeah, been there yeah, too, where yeah. I, I, I've wake, waken up in the morning and looked in the mirror and go, man, that's, I see my dad. <laughs> yeah. 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 This hey. is being recorded on father's day. <laughs> yeah. Um, Happy Father's Day to you, by the way. Yeah, thank you, sir. Say back. Happy Father's Day to you. Happy yep. Father's Day to all the all the fathers. Yep. And, yep. And and mothers that have to, you know, play father. <laughs> right. You no, know, that's that's an right. issue too. Right. But anyway, like I said, I dude, I love this song. I, I really yeah. do. The, the first time I heard it, I had to listen to it about ten times to let it sink in, like in a row, where yeah. I was like, you know, was that was that really that good? I mean, I, I <laughs> love this song. I, I mean, it's just it is sad and it is very melancholy, but it's 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 a powerful piece of songwriting to yeah, me. Yeah. You know, I yeah. mean, I, I I liked Stephen Stills before, but I really had not heard this song until we sat. And if I heard it, I mean, I didn't really relate to it the way I do now. I guess some, you know, for me, twenty years later, being you know away from 24 you know right. so right but a great song yeah great song I, I love how this song was recorded because it's so simple and just bare you know and you know i mean it could have been done on a street corner or a, or a cafe or coffee house or something and just that just stark intimacy, I think, even heightens that all that stuff that you're talking about, how how you, you know, how the song is perceived and 
it's just like he's sitting right next to you, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so let's hear this. Um, four and 20, uh, Stephen Stills. Four and 20 years ago, I come into this life. The son of a woman and a man who lived in strife. He was tired of being poor. And he wasn't into selling door to door. And he worked like the devil to be different kind of poverty now upsets me so night after sleepless night i walk the floor and i want to know why am i so alone where is my woman can i bring her home have i driven her away And we just heard four and 20 and we're going to move on to their song carry on. And by contrast to four and 20, this is definitely a, a whole group effort. I think it has everybody here. Um, pretty much the entire vocal line is harmony. It's like, yeah. a, it's like an amazing choir, like harmony just through the whole thing. And um, I don't know anybody that really sounds like them when they all get their voices together. They've got a really distinctive sound together. Yes, you know, I agree. Um, I like this song a lot. You know, it's uh, it's got some electric guitar soloing in there over the acoustic guitars. It's got this kind of groovy instrumental break in the middle of the song. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, I, and the vocal harmonies are just awesome. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. It's an it's an anthem of hope. Every time I hear yeah. this, that's what I think immediately. It's like this. It's just like this total anthem where it's just like you know I know that that things may look you know kind of crappy but we cannot give up we cannot give up we have to keep going we have to figure out a way to love each other and i mean some people are i mean i mean you know this living you know in houston and in indiana i imagine so too are, some people are unlovable <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah but some somehow or another you have to figure out a way to 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 deal with that you know and i mean and it can be done you know and i mean this is just one of those songs it, it just kind of it's an anthem almost that seems to define like an era where you have the the 60s going into the 70s and you know the acoustic and the electric and you know like you said the, the harmonies i mean they are so nice i mean they're there and it's so very distinctive to to what they did, um, and one of the things that made this band special, you know, um, like you said, there, there's not many people. I mean, the the one group that kind of comes to my mind is like like the Beach Boys a little bit. They, I mean, they, they they don't really sound like the Beach Boys, but I mean, just male harmony, you know, in general. I mean, that's yeah. that's kind of what what made me think about them and the Beach Boys. That is, and I mean, like I said, it's, it's not really the same thing, but. Um, like I said, just really, really, for that time, I, I think, you know, progressive sounding and, and, and still, you know, kind of simple, you know. 
um, as as far as that goes. So I like you yeah. said too. I, I like this song a lot as well. Yeah, man. Yeah. Um, let's just hear it. Cool. Uh, this is Carry On by Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. just heard carry on by crosby stills nash and young and that's gonna do it for episode 49 of the 1000 recordings podcast if all right you'd like to uh, send us an email send us one at 1000 recordings podcast at gmail.com you can follow us on twitter at 1000 rp you can look at our website at 1000 rp.blogspot.com you can join us on facebook and you can go to itunes and leave us a rating and a review and uh, we would appreciate it. It would help us get our podcast out to more listeners, and we will read your review on the air. So, cool. Do it. Um, ne- <laughs> next week, uh, uh, we have maybe coming next, up. Maybe well, next week, yeah, maybe next week. <laughs> next time, I guess we should start saying next time. Um, 
Uh, we've got a, an album that's very special to me. <laughs> I can't wait, wait to talk about it. <laughs> um, Black Angels by the Kronos Quartet. And uh, I'll definitely be talking a lot about that one on yeah, the next that's gonna be, show. That's going to be fun. Yeah. yeah definitely. Yeah. Um, then we have um, uh, an album that I'm not familiar with called Celia e Johnny by yeah, Celia, Celia Cruz and Johnny yeah. Pacheco. Yeah, the talk about legend, you know, icon Celia Cruz and and Johnny Pacheco. That, yeah, that'll be fun too. Celia Cruz with an afro on the cover it looks like you know that. Oh yeah, cannot wait. Is this uh, salsa? Uh, it's, what is it's this? Like, I think it's like like Cuban rhythms. You know, Celia Cuban. Cruz. I think. Okay. Yeah. 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 That that should be that should be really really good. You cool. know. Cool. And then um, the head on the door by the Cure. Yeah, that's that's gonna be just so much fun. I, that's that's like my favorite Cure record, really. Yeah, awesome, uh, awesome. Just uh, Robert sh- Smith and the crew. <laughs> that, yeah, that should be a that should be a fun lineup for sure. Yeah, uh, to talk yeah. about. So uh, yeah, um, that's gonna do it for us. Uh, happy Father's Day, Happy Father's Day, Mitch. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there, and uh, we will see you next time with some cool music. All right. Happy Father's Day, everybody. Bye-bye.